Oh, give the Lord a praise offering. Go ahead. I said give the Lord a praise offering. For real, for real. Amen. Glory to God. Hey, it's awesome to be here. It's good to, to always come to a place that's in revival. Amen. And to uh, be part of what God is doing here at Restoration Life. Thank you for releasing your pastors to come and be part of our conference. Glory to God. And they blessed us tremendously. And it's just awesome, awesome to be in partnership coast to coast. Amen. I am not the lead pastor of In the Light Ministries. Pastor Ray Harrison is the lead pastor. I am now the president of our fellowship. I don't necessarily have a church I'm leading. I'm leading our fellowship, glory to God, into what God has for us. It is awesome to be here with you, and I'm excited because I believe that I have a now word for you, and I believe that, uh, that, that uh, what God is wanting to say to you all today, here in this time, and this place, is that this is a restoration time of increase. Restoration time of increase. And what that means is I believe that God is wanting to do something exponential as it relates to your capacity, as it relates to your ability to be effective in the kingdom of God. And so I, I want to deposit this word into your spirits and pray that you take it and, and run with it and, and let God do what he wants to do. Amen? I, 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 in Lancaster, uh, one of the things that we were able to do uh, after many years of, of leading and, and founding that ministry my wife, my co-laborer in the Lord, is here with me, Yvonne. If you can just wave at people, let them know. Amen. As, as we used to say to people, we used to say to people, that there are some basic requirements that we have as part of our corporate gathering. The first one is that, uh, that you love us and let us love you back, right? And the second is that you amen at least three times. Okay, and the reason why we wanted people to amen three times is because uh, our, our ushers were trained to spot any dead thing. And like if you're sitting here and you're like not moving or anything, they're going to assume you were dead. And they, they were trained to come scoop you up and take you out because we didn't want any dead thing amongst the living. So one of the ways that we uh, uh, did, or, or one of the things we did in order to make sure that our ushers didn't all of a sudden find yourself being scooped up, and, and you got, whoa, whoa, what's happening? Oh, we thought you were dead. And, and, they, and, and, they, and they took you outside, so we said, well, amen three times throughout the service, and that will lead, let us know you're alive. <laughs> amen. And that one don't count. It's once the, pre it's once the preaching starts. But, but, uh, uh, are you with me? I know your people ain't trained like that, but I may just ask them, could you please get her out of here? I think she passed. And, <laughs> and, but anyway, that, that's what we used to tell our people, and it was just so fun. Our ushers were so, so obedient to that. Thank God they never removed anyone. Amen. Not for real, for real. And uh, it's just awesome to be here with you and to see what God is doing. When God challenged me to start a church in Lancaster City, uh, I really didn't want to. And the reason I didn't want to is because I was being prepared to plant a church in New York City or in Puerto Rico. 
New York City because that's where I was born and raised, and Puerto Rico because that's where I met the Lord in 1977. And so all along, I thought that was God's will. So much so was it that when I contacted Pastor Mike Neville, I said to him, you know, I'm going to start a church in Lancaster, but I really don't want to, uh, but, but I believe God wants me to. And he said, no problem, Phil. Prove yourself for two years, and in two years, we'll invest in you and send you to Puerto Rico or New York City. And so that was the plan. That was the plan. And, uh, and then God began to, to do something uh, quite unique and quite dynamic in Lancaster. And one of the things that he did, he did within me, is he eventually gave me a love for Lancaster to the point that two years became uh, to the here and now. I'm still there. And, and God built a tremendous, tremendous ministry that from one church has now become over 20 churches uh, up and down the East Coast as well as in, in the Caribbean, in Central America and, and South America, including one worker that we have in Africa. So, uh, in other words, when you, when you position yourself to do what God wants to do, then eventually God has his way because you have surrendered and yielded to him, right? And so today what I would like to do is I would like to, I would like to challenge us. I know that each of us have individual visions, but I also know that there's a vision of, in this house. And, and I would just challenge all of us here today to recognize that in the kingdom of God, we are exalted as we serve. We are exalted as we humble ourselves. We are exalted as we, as we uh, esteem others above ourselves. Our vision is fulfilled as we in, invest in fulfilling the vision of others. And what I would like to do today is, that, is bring you a message that would somehow help you to understand what it is that God is doing uh, in this season, in your life, and in the life of this ministry, and that all that you would do is that you would say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And I embrace your divine purpose for my life, even if it somewhat doesn't align with what I was hoping for. Amen? And, and, and if you would do that, and if we can accomplish getting us to a place today of just fully surrendering to Christ our entire lives, pre-Christ and post-Christ, then I think that we would have had a wonderful time this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray your blessing upon this house. We pray that your divine purpose and will will be accomplished. We pray for guidance and direction. And Father, in Jesus' name, we declare that every heart that every life that is here today is receptive to your word and willing to embrace your purpose for this hour, in this house, in their lives, and in their individual realm of influence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. A season of increase. Say that with me. A season of increase. Amen. Let us go to the book of Genesis. 
The book of Genesis says this in chapter 1, verse 27 through 31. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees to you for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, making the sixth day. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the word increase because the word increase has... Uh, variable uh, directions that you can go with it. But, but here is a simple definition of the word increase. To become progressively greater, as in size, amount, number, or intensity. Archaically, meaning back in the old day, when you would speak of increase, you would be speaking of multiplication or multiplying via producing or giving birth. So one of the synonyms of, of increase is to multiply, to increase by multiplication. Now we have read in our scripture that God created man and gave man a mandate. And that mandate was to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth and govern it. Now, the first thing we need to establish today is that God's character is without question. Can we say amen? amen? And the first thing we know about God's character as it relates to this dynamic of what God mandated man to do is that God will never, say never, never. commission, appoint, or anoint your, you to do anything you can't do or he won't do through you. Did you hear that? I'll say it again. God will never commission, appoint, or anoint you to do anything you can't do or that he won't do through you. So if God commissions you, if God commissions man to be fruitful, to multiply, and to govern this natural creation that he made, that means that God innately has placed within us the capacity to increase, the capacity to be fruitful, the capacity to multiply, the capacity to govern. Amen? Now, it's important that you understand, because I know that here you have leadership classes, that though innately you have been given the capacity to lead, you have to grow in your leadership capacity. Amen? That's why classes on leadership are essential. So we see God created man with the capacity to be fruitful, to multiply, to govern, or to, do, or, 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 or to administrate, to reign, or to lead authoritatively. Now the word capacity, because you've heard me use it several times, the word capacity basically means the ability to hold or to contain. 
The ability to do something. A mental, emotional, or physical ability. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's heart. Now, I want you to understand that God's heart for us is that by faith in him, we take our rightful place in his plan of restoration. Fulfilling all that we were created for. In other words, the character of God would never allow God to commission us, to mandate us, to do anything that he is not either given us the ability to do or will work with us to do it. And his heart for us, his heart for us is that we would create, excuse me, that we would fulfill all that we were created to fulfill. Okay? This is important that we understand. A, the character of God. B, God's heart. The character of God, God's heart. When you and I are growing in Christ, these realities are essential. Why? Because you can doubt your capacity, but you must never doubt his ability or his capacity. Amen? And yet when you know who he is, when you know his nature, you know that even if you do not have the talent and or gifting to do something, you know because you know him that if he asks you to do it, he's going to work it through you. These are essential truth because too often we disqualify ourselves from the work of God because we are judging our capacity apart from God. We are judging our limitation. Now, we know that the scriptures say that there are things that are impossible for man, but with God, not for God, but with God, all things are possible. In other words, something changes at the moment that you engage God in an interpersonal relationship. In that you now become a partaker of his capacity. So if you have determined that God's capacity is limitless, well, then that means that that limitless capacity is now part of my life experience. So my truth is not rooted in whatever I perceive or have come to believe throughout my life experience. My, my, my confidence is rooted in who he is and how he sees me and what he thinks about me and what he says about me. And this is important because all of us have voices of the past that speak very loudly to us when we're trying to do something for God. My, my stepmother systematically abused me from the age of 11 to 16. She broke me down. She got me to believe that I was worthless, that I was stupid, and that I mattered nothing. And can I tell you something? Long after I got saved, whenever uh, something wasn't going right, guess whose voice I would hear in my head? So you can be filled with the Holy Ghost, saved and sanctified. Those voices don't stop talking. And it, what allowed me to rise above those voices in those moments was not judging my abilities or my capacity, was trusting 
in his and the fact that he loves me and he's invested in me and he's placed himself in me so that together we can do all things glory to God. Is this helping you today? Glory to God. We see God's heart. We know God's character. We know that God's heart is to fulfill all that we were created for. In John 10.10, he touches on this. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or to give you life in a manner that is abundant. Now, all throughout scripture, we see God's heart for his people. And it lines up with this text, John 10.10. In Genesis 22, 15 through 18, it said, Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord said, Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and in the sand and the seashores. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. We see that part of the Abrahamic covenant was increase, was multiplication. So again, we were created for multiplication. Say multiplication. This is what you were created for. say, Say the word innate. (laughs) That means it was in you before you knew there was a you. I'll say it again. It was in you before you even had cognition of a you. Before you knew you, it was in you. The capacity to increase, to multiply, to be fruitful, to lead, to represent God. Oh, glory to God. Now, after the fall, these divine purposes don't cease. I keep telling people, just because man abdicated his juice doesn't mean he had no juice. He just gave it up. Right? But he still was what he was created for. So just because you and I walked in darkness... Just because you and I walked in delusion, just because you and I sold out to a lie, doesn't mean that what we were was not. So then what is it that happens? When you and I get saved through faith in Jesus Christ, we are brought near God again, and all those divine deposits are reactivated. Say reactivated. You've been reactivated. Oh, glory to God. We have been reactivated. Now, this is a fact. Increase and multiplication was very evident in the early church. We see that in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31. It said the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Acts 12, 24 says this. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. So when I come here and I say, 
Restoration life is in a season of increase. Or this is a time of multiplication for you. It's not necessarily because of what is evident or what is happening. It's because it is your innate capacity. The minute that Pastor Eddie and Roxanne put their hands to the plow, they began to give life to the gift of multiplication that was within them. <coughs> Are you listening? Even when they were running just them and their kids. Do you want to know what my first message was at my introduction 28 years ago? How do I know that? Because I've kept every message on a card or on a written out that I've ever preached and have it all filed. And I went back to see my first word in my living room, my wife and my three kids. This is what I said. Today, you are witnessing the birth of a miracle, a ministry that will touch nations. That was my introduction. To my wife and my three kids. The oldest being six years old. He gave up his bedroom to be the nursery. And we're going to touch the world for Jesus. Was that confidence in my ability to pastor or to eloquently expound upon the word of God? No. It was rooted in the fact that God's a God of increase. God's a God of multiplication. God's the God of the, of the impossible for you and I. My confidence was in God. My confidence was in the fact that he called me. My confidence was in the fact that he loved me. My confidence was in the fact that if I was to be obedient and submissive to him and surrendered myself, that no eyes could see or ears hear all that God could do through our hands. I believe that. So if we are created for multiplication, and it's God's heart to multiply, then why does it often appear elusive or difficult to see the increase that we desire, whether corporately or personally? First, I believe, is because we must align ourselves with divine purpose and order. God is a God of order, and God is a God that does nothing just to do it. He's a purposeful God. Even after we align ourselves with divine purpose and order, we must come to a place where we believe in our hearts that increase is God's heart and will for me. Before you can bend your knees and fight for your marriage, you've got to believe it's God's will to save your marriage. Before you can stand in the gap for that sinner, you've got to believe in your heart that it's God's will to save that sinner. Otherwise, when something appears that is contrary to what you're believing for happens, you'll you stop praying. You'll give up. And I see too many Christians settle for stuff that I know it's not God's will for them. People settle for sickness. People settle for disease. People settle for economic crisis. People settle for, for, for ill treatment. 
because they are not convinced that they deserve any better. Well, I'm here to tell you, my God, he's come that you may have life and that you, be- that you have it better than what you've settled for. Belief is key, beloved, because what we believe we can see or we give life to. Conception is to bring forth life. When you are conceived, there's something in you that is ignited. There's something in you that even though it has not been birthed into into this realm, it's still very much alive within you. It's important that we understand this because many of you have been conceived with a God said, with a promise, with a miracle, and the devil's trying to abort it. And your conviction will determine your fight. If you are convinced that you are convinced that you are convinced that you are convinced that this is what God has because it's God's character, it's God's nature, it's God's expression of love for me, you will fight and you will settle for nothing less. No matter what you look like, no matter what's going on, God, I'm going to birth this thing. Because what we believe, we birth eventually. The vision or the promise may wait an appointed time, but it's going to speak. What we believe we conceive, what we believe we birth, what we believe we wholeheartedly commit to. But most significant, what we believe we invest in and empower. We invest in and empower. If you believe in the mission of restoration life, You invest and you empower. You invest resources, you invest time, you invest talents, and you empower those around you to also rise up and accomplish the greatness that you believe God desires for all of us. In other words, just like God, who believed in you, He not only gave his only son to die for you, but then he put himself in you to make sure you finish well. This is why the enemy tries so hard to plant fear and unbelief in our minds. Because he knows that if he can substitute faith with fear and unbelief, he can hinder your full capacity. He can hinder what you are capable of in Christ Jesus. Matthew 16, 23 through 25 records one of the hardest rebukes Jesus gives during his three-year ministry, and it's given to one of his disciples. And the rebuke is simply because the disciples refuse to see things from a divine perspective and only saw it from a carnal perspective point of view. It's found in 16 of Matthew chapter verse 23 to 25. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What is interesting, and I don't, I don't want to go down this path, but what's interesting is Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me before he took up his cross. So he was not relating or alluding to his cross. He was alluding to the cross that many Jews had taken up in defense of the freedom of Israel, where hundreds were literally, thousands were literally publicly crucified and their bodies literally rotted on the roads to Jerusalem. That's what he was relating to. In other words, when you really, really, for real, for real, are behind this gospel, you'll be willing to do what those zealots did. And then he goes on and talks about if you try to save your life, if you try to avoid the cross, you'll lose it. Why? Because you'll remain a slave for the rest of your life. What kind of life is that? But if you, lose, if you are willing to, like those zealots, pay the ultimate price, then you'll find the secret to increase abundance and the joy of the Lord. I believe, beloved, that God sent me here this week to challenge some mindsets and some wrong thinking, which has allowed some of us here today to settle for less. See, this is a new way of thinking and living. This is why Jesus, in dealing with the early believers regarding their worries, he said to them in Matthew 6, 33 through 34, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So here's Jesus, and he's saying, this is the way to live on earth in a manner that empowers you to accomplish all that I have for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Many, pe many people think that that portion of scripture alludes to this dynamic of making God first, but that's incorrect. He's not talking about making God first. He's talking about pursuing a divine order that exists in heaven or in the kingdom of God so that you can bring it into your life experience so that you can operate in the fullness of kingdom purpose. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the real place. And it's ruled by a king, a real king. He says, and its righteousness or the laws by which it's governed. Seek the kingdom of God and the laws by which it's governed and all these things on earth you need will be added to you. But make first in your list wanting to see kingdom purpose accomplished in your life. Here are some kingdom principles. Because the economy of the kingdom is very different than the economy of this world. For example, in the kingdom of God, giving is better than receiving. The word of God said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
So it's contrary to an earthly economy where you are more prosperous if you withhold. In the kingdom of God, you are more prosperous if you release. Losing your life is how you save it in the kingdom of God. Serving with joy those who oppress you is the kingdom of God's way. Not, not putting up with them, serving them with joy. Esteeming others above yourself is how your true worth is measured in the kingdom of God. Not on this earth. That's not what we're taught. So we see that there are differences in how our lives should look here on this earth so that God may be glorified. Our lives should be governed and our lives should be guided and guarded according to kingdom of God principles. That's why it's important to understand God and his ways so that we can align our lives with his. When you align yourself and surrender yourself to him, now multiplication is what, not what, what, what I pursue or what we pursue. I pursue the king. We pursue the king and multiplication pursues us. Literally, it catches us or lays hold of us. Why? Because it's a byproduct of receiving the truth of his kingdom. It's important to understand. He doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as if they are added to you after salvation or, or as, to, as if they, there's something you've got to earn after salvation, excuse me. No, it says, and they will be added to you as if it's something you already have that will come incrementally. That's a different perspective because I already have in me these things. It's a byproduct. When I accepted Jesus, I accepted everything he is, everything he stands for, everything that he lives for is now mine and finds expression in my life. Added, not given, it's ours. It's based on covenant relationship with Jesus. See, this is what qualifies us to receive all. 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 I said all. It's not your works of righteousness. It's not how good you are as a person. It's not how much Bible you read. It's not how much service attendance you have. It's whether you are willingly surrendered totally to him. And whether you are willing to lay your whole life and accept him at his word and, and allow your life to be guided by his word and by his spirit. When you do that, these things naturally begin to find expression. Why? Because they were already yours at salvation. So, for example, if you're not walking in the freedom of the Lord, it's not because you don't have freedom. It's because you're not giving it expression. You're not giving it expression because there's another way of thinking that you're holding on to that limits that thing from being made manifest. 
And this is why it's important to understand who this God is and who it is that you are serving. Because most often we pray and ask for God for things that are already ours. Oh, yes. But when you know it's yours, not because you deserve it, because he's qualified you for it. All throughout scriptures, we find men and women who simply ask because they believe God could do it. Jabez, I don't like this name. Enlarge, enlarge my influence. Change my name. I don't want to be remembered as the pain in the neck. And God gave him the simple fact that he asked God speaks of that he believed God could intervene. When our belief and actions line up with kingdom order, exponential growth is experienced and multiplication is ours. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10 says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are all the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises, to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, more excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient and endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed from and their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those he has called and chosen. Do these things and you'll never fall away. Oh, glory to God. In other words, begin to reflect, begin to reveal, allow all that I've put in you to be made manifest. Believe it for real, for real. This is not just a word to inspire. This is a word to transform. This is something that God paid a price to give to us so that we may reign, yes, in this life now. close with this. Alignment requires alliance. I said earlier we don't see these things because we are not aligned with divine order. Our thinking is, is still very much influenced by, by, by perceptions rooted in our upbringing and our development as individuals. So if your mom said you were ugly no matter how much your husband says you're beautiful, you still see yourself as ugly. Because somebody told you you were ugly. That was Jesus' challenge with Adam and Eve. They said, we hid because we're naked. They said, who told you that? Who told you that? There are a lot of things that have been told to us that I'm here to tell you. The Lord says, who told you that? I see you different. 
I put myself in you. Don't be limited by what, what, what you think or what you believe. If it's contrary to my word, don't give it a place. You must understand that God, according to your faith, has brought you to a place of favor. You are positioned right with God according to Romans. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Romans 5, 11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ who has made us friends of God. What we have as God's children is blessedness. He has deposited and reactivated divine promises in us. However, these deposits and privileges come with requirements. Now that we are properly aligned, he wants an alliance. An alignment is a position of agreement. An alliance is a decision to act collectively. Increase is going to take you to a whole nother level of function. I'll say that again. Listen to me. Increase is going to take you to a whole nother level of function. That's practical expression. If increase is going to take you to a whole nother level of function, then there's a whole nother level of thinking that needs to be embraced collectively. The first is, in my opinion, your identity has to change. The last time I was here, I said you have to stop looking at yourself as just a church. And you have to see yourself as a base of operation that empowers and brings enlightenment to churches. That's what's going to happen here. You, you are transforming. And you've been transforming for years from a church to an apostolic center. A church and an apostolic center are two different things. A church carries a mandate to be a light to a location and a specific geographic region. An apostolic center becomes a lighthouse for nations, for people groups. And out of an apostolic center, giftings begin to go out. Not all giftings go out and remain. Some giftings go out and return. Example, your apostolic leader. He goes out and he comes back. He goes out and he comes back. But some of you, God is going to do that with. For example, the praise and worship team. God's raising up a praise and worship team. There's going to come a place where some of these praise and worship leaders are going to be able to direct other praise and worship teams. If they stay in this house, they'll only become fat and eventually lazy. The reason is because you, your vision doesn't expand. They become, they become, how would I say, complacent so what has to happen is that they have to recognize that part of part of their abundance 
is, is to begin to release, to begin to pour out, to begin to, to teach and to be and train. And sometimes that will take them beyond this platform. There may be prophetic gifts here that God wants to release and raise up to train others. There may be evangelistic giftings here that God, God wants to raise up. If it always stays within the house, you become faithful, but eventually it basically becomes inward focused and you start fighting for positions. And that's the beginning of self-destruction. But when your eyes are out, then you know that your capacity building is not for a sedentary lifestyle. You know that it's for the running, it's for the going, or for the sending. And you begin to embrace that mantle and that anointing. And you begin to see an exponential growth of leadership. And now this becomes not just a church, it becomes a training center. So you come here on Sundays to celebrate what's happening out there. And because you're living, esteeming others above yourself, giving more than receiving, the well never runs dry. Because you're emptying yourself. You're pouring out. You're pouring out. I close with this quick study. Do a study on the church in Jerusalem and you'll notice that the church in Jerusalem eventually became ineffective. Ineffective. Because they began, they became inward. The persecution caused them to become inward. After they scattered, they became inward. Antioch became the church of impact in the, in the early church. Because Antioch never lost the anointing Paul placed on it to become a sending center. So Antioch was really the apostolic center of that time. If you, Restoration Life, are going to be the apostolic center here where God wants you to begin, then you're going to have to be willing to embrace and grow with it. You're going to have to be willing to validate the apostolic mantle and anointing not just on your leaders, but on other leaders as they rise up. And you're going to have to challenge yourself to recognize that I have a part in this. And you may go, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm at that age. I'm not looking to go anywhere. Well, become a sender. Become a sender. But there's a part for all of us. All of us. All of us. All of us. No matter how insignificant you may see yourself. Remember this. If you see yourself insignificant, it's only because you're seeing yourself through your eyes, not his eyes. Because he doesn't think you're insignificant. And I know this house doesn't think you're insignificant. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the word that you have given us to deposit into this house. And Father, we just praise you because we know that you have a purpose. You have a desire for this house. You desire to see increase continue. You desire to see your glory made manifest. Father, 
birthed an apostolic ministry here at Restoration Life. Nurture it. Grow it. I have a question for you today at the congregation. Examine your heart. Do you agree with this? And if you do, will you align yourself with this divine purpose? Will you be willing to invest? Will you be willing to, to, to empower? Will you be willing to say, yes, Lord, here we are. Use us in these last days as a voice in the wilderness, in a world that does not want to hear your truth. Use us to be agents of change. Use us to be voices in the wilderness that declare the coming of the Lord. Father, use us here in Lawndale to accomplish